welcome to Non-Gendered Fitness, where we explore health, fitness, transitioning, and queer life from beyond the binary. Proudly brought to you by Fearless Movement Collective, the home of queer fitness and health. And here's your host, Bowie Stover. Hi there, welcome to Non-Gendered Fitness. This is episode number three. My name is Bowie Stover, my pronouns are they, them, and I'm super stoked to have you join me today. Before we jump into the episode, I'd like to acknowledge that this show is recorded on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Sovereignty never was and never will be ceded. And I'd like to pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. In today's episode, we're going to be looking into non-medical transition pathways. We're going to take a close look at chest binding. We're going to look at how it can be used to support and affirm a person's identity and help them express who they are in an authentic way. So the outcomes from this episode will be that you'll gain an understanding of how to chest bind safely, learn how you can support your body and mind with chest binding, and where you can get chest binders from. So why do people chest bind? Well, chest binding is a practice that is done by trans men, trans masculine folks, uh, gender diverse people who were assumed female at birth and have experienced what's classified as a female puberty. They've experienced a puberty and they also have ovaries and their body produces estrogen. Therefore, their body has developed breasts. And binding or chest binding is the practice of using a compressive top or some other item, usually a fabric, though sometimes people do use tape, to flatten their chest and give a less pronounced roundness appearance and create a more flat and masculine looking chest. So why do people choose to bind? Well, I touched on this just briefly, but I want to dive into it a little bit more because in society, it's really commonly perceived that people who have a chest or people who have breasts, um, I refer to it as a chest because I know for myself and a lot of other folks uh, from the TGD community, it can be a bit more affirming to have it referred to as that as opposed to have it classically defined as breasts which are distinctly seen as feminine so for ease of language and use through the rest of this episode I am going to be calling it a chest I am not going to say that that is the language that everyone uses and I understand that this is a sensitive topic and even the use of terms like breasts may be hard for some people to think about and I trust that you'll be able to look after your own feelings and emotions and support yourself if you're having trouble with this. But just for reference, I will be talking quite a bit about chests as this whole episode is on chest binding. (laughs) So chest binding is used by people who were assumed female at birth to affirm their identity for people who want to present more masculine or just more androgynous. Oftentimes having, having visible breasts can be a really unaffirming thing for multiple reasons. One, for the person who owns the chest to be able to look down and see that they've got something there and that doesn't align with who they think they are inside and who they feel they are inside. That can be really hard. And outwardly, for people who are looking at someone and reading them based solely off their physicality without knowing them, 
they are often going to be defined as female or a woman because they have breasts. I mean, and that's really shitty perspective and that's definitely a societal issue that it's viewed that breasts equal female or breasts equal a woman when in fact any person who has a high volume of soft tissue in the body, whether they were assumed male at birth or assumed female at birth, will actually develop chests like they'll have around a chest just because that's one of the places where soft tissue is deposited in the body yet for some reason it's like uh, having a chest is defined purely as being a female thing when really it they don't discriminate boobs don't discriminate they are something that any person can develop and even people who are assumed male at birth who whose bodies produce testosterone can actually develop breast tissue it is a thing so I find it really challenging that society says, well, breasts are female, when it's just not the case at all. It's totally ridiculous. However, we're in a society that views body parts as a very gendered thing, so this is where we're at. (laughs) However, definitely not the case. But for people who were assumed female at birth, who are trans men, who are trans masculine, who are gender diverse, who want to just not present as what's perceived as classically feminine, they will bind their chest because having a flatter chest helps to change people's perception of how they view you. And this can be a really affirming thing for people from the TGD community. And this is something that I practice myself. And I know it's something that a lot of my friends practice as well. I also want to just make a point of saying that Just because a person is trans or gender diverse and assumed female at birth does not mean that they have to chest bind because they don't. As with any part of a person's transition, there is no one way to do it. There is no have tos and have nots to fulfill a certain criteria of transness or gender diverseness. A person can be trans or gender diverse and be quite comfortable having a chest and not having to bind it. They may feel comfortable calling their chest breasts or having breast tissue or any sort of language that they feel affirms them. There is no right or wrong here. People who are trans or gender diverse and assumed female at birth do not have to have dysphoria about their chests. And I just want to make that really clear because it's this language used in the community and views from community that I've experienced myself or seen in a lot of the trans and gender diverse groups that I'm in online in like the socials and stuff like that. There's quite a bit of language out there that says otherwise because chest dysphoria is quite common and that is an experience people have but it is also an equally valid experience that people have to not have chest dysphoria. Both are valid, both are very individual and personal experiences, and neither of them are wrong. For people who do have chest dysphoria, they may choose to chest bind to help them feel better in their bodies, to feel more comfortable in their everyday lives, to be more comfortable in how they present outwardly and how they see themselves. Okay. (laughs) So what can you do if you want to chest bind? This is a big question. Because there are many ways that it can be done. There are ways that it can be done safer than other ways. Uh, There's implications anytime a person chest binds, simply because you're compressing a part of your body that really is designed to be mobile, that there's going to be some 
negative implications, but how can you do it in the safest way possible? I could not recommend more strongly to actually invest some money in a proper chest binder. They are uh, an item of clothing. They can come like cropped, so they can be like mid-torso length. They can be full singlet length, and they are a compressive top made of a synthetic fabric that generally just is tight around the ribs particularly so that it can press your chest flat. And so far as compressive devices go, they are the safest. There's a lot of practices that you need to keep in mind when you are chest binding, being that you like don't bind for longer than eight hours. If you've got chest infections, and this is anecdotal, uh, anecdotal only because there is not a lot of money invested out there into the long-term health implications of chest binding, but anecdotally, people that I've talked with from the community and people I've supported with their training and, and working with their bodies and stuff like that have expressed that they've had like a cold and when they've done chest binding, they've found that it's actually made their cold worse, that it's led to chest infections. Now, there's nothing scientific to back that up. I want to make this really clear. This is purely anecdotal and it's something that I've seen recur a good handful of times in people who I know from the community who have used chest binding while being sick. I can't exactly say why this happens. Uh, It just seems to be that it's something that can happen to people if you're chest binding while you're sick. So really be careful of that. Now, bringing it back to how you can chest bind. (laughs) Yes, binders. Binders are a really great item. Now, the challenge with them is that they can sometimes be a little bit expensive. I know for myself here in Australia, I've found a great a great website. It's trans-owned and operated. I think they're run out of Sydney. They're called Sock Draw Heroes. Really rad group of people. And they sell chest binders in Australia for a really plopping, reasonable price. All the other binders that you see around, all the ones that I've seen online, you've got to buy them from the States and stuff like that where the conversion rate is just killer. So uh, the brand that they sell is Underworks. And I've found them to be really comfortable. They're a binder that I've, I can put on and actually not even notice that I'm wearing, which is surprising because for folks who do bind, uh, will know that it can be really common to have chest binders that are like super uncomfortable and they can, uh, the seams can cut in, they can rub, they curl up at the bottom, all these, all these little things that can happen that make it really challenging. But the Underworks binders, I've just gotten the mid-drift ones and I've found them to be really helpful. You can get them in full length as well. Another good brand out there is GC2B. GC2B. Yes. And they are another brand. I've not worn them, but I've got a bunch of friends who swear by them. I've got friends who have the GC2B ones and train in them and say that they feel comfortable doing weight training in them and they don't feel any restriction in their breathing and stuff like that, which is a super good win. I know there are other brands out there. But two of the most common ones that I know of that I've heard a lot of good feedback about are the Underworks binders and the GC2B ones. So chest binders are the safest way. Second to a chest binder would be wearing sports crops or even doubling up on sports crops. And this is something that I've done before I bought a binder. I would just wear a double sports crops because sports crops are pretty compressive already so they do a pretty good job and I would wear two different cuts one that had a, a lower cut and then a, a higher cut crop over the top so it covered the one underneath so you couldn't really see that I was wearing two if I was wearing a singlet or if I wear a t-shirt you can't see two seams 
Now, sports crops are a good one because they are also already designed to be worn as a crop that does some compression and holding of the chest in place because they're designed for sport. Now, I want to be clear, chest binders and sports crops are going to be your two safest options. Other options that are used by people that are not so safe, and I'm even guilty of this one myself back in my younger days, was I used to use a a compression bandage. Uh, at the time, I didn't I didn't really look into what the implications of that are. Using compression bandages really can be harmful, and also taping. I know people who have used ace tape, ace tape. I think that's what it's called. I've never heard of it. I think that's an American tape or duct tape to tape their chest down. Now these methods can be really, really dangerous and they can actually lead to some long-term really negative health implications. They can even risk your options of getting top surgery if later down the track you were someone looking into top surgery because chest binding can cause long-term soft tissue damage, long-term damage to your ribs as well. So you've got to be really mindful not only of how you're going to be feeling short-term and how you're going to be looking short-term, but thinking long-term because if in a year down the track you decide you want to start looking at the surgical path of getting top surgery, but you've been binding in a really unsafe way that's actually caused damage to your body, you actually may not be able to get top surgery. So really take the time to think about what your options are. If it's the difference between saving the 30 or 40 bucks to get a a decent chest binder or sports crops versus using some duct tape or some compression bandages right now and doing that, but then a year down the track ending up not being able to pursue the options you want, that's a big risk and it's really one that has to have a lot of thought put into it. And I totally get how debilitating dysphoria of the chest can be and how it can really limit a person's interactions socially, even at home without people around, just that discomfort of what it feels like to have a chest. Like, I get it. But if long-term you're looking at making a change, you really need to weigh up your short-term options as well. Now, I leave the decision up to everyone because I am in no way going to tell anyone what to do, but... I just want to make it clear that there are safer ways to chest bind if necessary and really asking yourself, are you willing to risk your future transition options? But the decision is always going to be yours. Another way that I've found to help with uh, reducing the chest apart from binding is physical activity. And this is one that I discovered accidentally when I started training because physical activity produces lean muscle mass and lean muscle mass uses energy simply to exist in the body which is a really cool thing because what it's meant for me is that by developing my lean muscle mass I've helped my body to use more energy that I put into it which means that it's lowered my body fat percentage and in doing so it has reduced the size of my chest. See breasts are made up of a combination of breast tissue um, and all of the fibrous materials in there that is required for the production of milk if you get pregnant and all that stuff. They've got breast tissue and then they've got soft tissue as well. So it's like this combination. And having trained away a lot of the excess soft tissue that I used to have on my body, it trained away a lot of it from my chest. So now 
I've essentially mainly just got a chest that has only breast tissue. The stuff that I can't get rid of by training. <laughs> I learned this because I had to go and get an ultrasound of my chest. And the person doing the ultrasound, when I asked kind of what, what this really weird looking image on the screen was, was describing to me that there's muscle and there's breast tissue and that is all. So I was like, wow, that's really cool. I mean, I knew that training had reduced my chest size, but I didn't realize that you could actually train away soft tissue from your chest. Now, I do want to point out that I feel that uh, genetics will play a part in this. So genetically, I think my self and my family has a predisposition to smaller chests, and I think that has been an advantage. So I feel that for each individual person, genetics is probably going to play a part as much as training and developing lean muscle mass and stuff will. That is going to be a factor. So I'm not going to claim all the credit there because I think genetics have definitely played a part in helping me reduce my my chest size. But it is possible for people to get physically active and if reducing their soft tissue percentage is a goal of theirs, then it can actually help reduce the size of their chest. But this is not a guarantee because everyone's body will respond differently to physical activity. And in my personal case, it has changed the size of my chest. And I mean, I change it a lot. Like when I... Before I started training, I uh, I don't know if so I don't know if bra sizes convert the same all across the world. But before I started training, and like right when I was at the point of really looking at how I could change my body to be the better representation and of me and my authentic self, my chest it was was at a double D. I weighed ninety three kilos, so it was a big it was a big difference to how I am now and who I am now. But to go from a double D chest and at 93 kilos down to, I have no idea what kind of bra size I am now because I don't wear, <laughs> it's been a long time since I've worn one, um, but maybe like a, a smaller, maybe like a, a A cup or a maybe a B cup, I have no idea. But to go from a double D down to something that's really small and to have gone from 93 kilos at my heaviest to now sitting at around 70 kilos has been a big change. And for myself, it was something that really surprised me. I guess I wasn't expecting to end up with such a flat chest. But hooray, because it means now I don't always have to bind. I can wear crop and feel pretty comfortable with that. But your dad has also taken years. Like I've been training since 2013. So it's taken a bunch of years as well. These kinds of changes are not going to happen quickly. They are going to take time and they're going to take uh, a lot of persistence and a lot of determination to really, really get there because it's hard work. It is, but possible, totally possible. Hard work, but fun. Let me be clear there. (laughs) Moving your body can be both challenging and really enjoyable. And it feels great to feel like you have the power to shape change to your body. It's a really cool thing. Now for people who do chest bind, who use binders, who use double crops. Even if you are someone who has used binders and crops in the past but have since had top surgery, or if you are someone who uses bandages or tape, there are going to be those physiological implications that I spoke of, um, risks to soft tissue, risks to kind of limitations with how your body will move. It is possible to move your body to help mitigate these risks that will arise when you chest bind. 
There are certain mobility movements that are really great in helping to get movement back through your ribs. See, between your ribs, there are these little muscles called intercostals, and they are there to help, one, keep your ribs kind of apart so they don't just all collapse on each other. But also, when you breathe, they help your rib cage expand and contract, so you kind of help you push your breath in and out. And they're particularly helpful. I know in episode one, I spoke about diaphragmatic breathing. I will link to episode one if you want to have a check out of that episode, if you haven't already. But not only that, there are other movements that you can do that will help get your rib cage moving, get your your thoracic spine, which is kind of the area of your spine, about from the top of your shoulder blades down to around the bottom of your rib cage. That whole area there gets quite restricted front binding because you're essentially compressing that whole area and there are movements that you can do before you bind in the morning and after you bind at night time or if you don't bind anymore because you've had top surgery but find that you're having challenges with movement through your upper body there are movements that you can do to help kind of open those areas back up and I've actually written a whole movement guide specifically designed to help folks who chest bind, to help folks who have used chest binding in the past to get movement back into their bodies. Because if you're looking at getting physically active, the most important thing you can do first before you start adding any weights or anything like that is making sure that you can breathe (laughs) because breathing is important and making sure that your body can move well so you're not going to start trying to stack load onto a body that may have dysfunctions which will in turn lead to injury. Now we'll link to the movement guide in the show notes. It's free to download. Check it out because this could really help you not only now but long term down the track if you're looking at getting top surgery. Having uh, a body that moves well, having good use of your ribs when you breathe and stuff like that is going to be really beneficial to your body just overall. So when you do look at getting a binder, you do want to find a size that fits for you. Now, the tendency for people I have found is to go, well, I want as much compression as possible, so I'm going to go as tight as I possibly can. No, friend, don't do that. (laughs) A lot of the places where you can get your binders from will give you sizing charts, and they'll get you to measure around your chest in certain points to find the binder that's going to fit you best. Because as I've mentioned earlier, going too tight can cause you injury. And that may seem like a good trade-off now because you want to feel better now. But long term, if you're missing out on that top surgery that you've been gunning for for the last two years because you compress too tightly, it's just not going to be worth it. So when you do get a binder, you really want to look at finding one that is the right size for you. Now, they are going to be uncomfortable. They are going to be a bit tight because they are a binder. (laughs) So... You might get it in the right size and it could be so uncomfortable and it may just be that the cut that you've ordered may not fit for you. But I recommend if you are measuring yourself up and you've gone to the measurement chart and it's saying that you know a small is this, a medium is this, a large is this, extra large is this and you're somewhere in between, go a size up. Do not go a size down because that is going to cause you no end of grief. So... All the good brands out there, I know that Underworks do, I know that GC2B do as well, they will give you a sizing chart. Really follow them, but don't think that one sizing chart is going to translate to another sizing chart because different brands have different sizes, just like all the sizes of clothes out there. None of them actually match. I don't know why 
like you've got clothes that are mediums, you've got clothes that are large, and it's like, what does that even mean? Because what is medium? It is subjective. What is large? Also subjective. Who knows? So make sure that when you're buying the brand you're buying from, that you use their specific sizing chart because it is going to be relevant to their particular item of clothing. So be mindful also, once you've gotten your binder, of how you're feeling while you're binding. If you start feeling like you can't breathe comfortably, if you start feeling dizzy, then you may need to whip that sucker off because it could mean that you're actually not getting enough air. And if you're feeling dizzy and short of breath, that can lead to you passing out and falling unconscious and hitting your head on the ground or something really, really sucky that is not going to be fun. So you really want to ask yourself when you're wearing your binder, can I breathe comfortably? Do I feel dizzy? Does my binder impact my regular activities? Because if you're chest binding, but then can't do any of the things you would usually do because your binder is so uncomfortable or so tight, then it might not be the right size for you. And even if you've followed the sizing chart and they send you a binder that is not the right size, that fucking sucks. <laughs> really sucks. Um, and it actually happened to my partner Zay. They bought two binders in the same size and one of them is bigger than the other one strangely, but they're both supposedly mediums. So who knows? It can happen. But be aware that if that is the case, you may need to go a size up in that particular brand. But you really want to be mindful because it can be common for a binder, especially if it's too tight or if you're not used to binding. If it's something that's new to you, it may be uncomfortable. You may start to feel a little bit short of breath. You, it could even lead to anxiety because physiological responses in the body can trigger emotional responses so if your heart rate becomes elevated and your body's not quite sure why like you're just doing your normal thing it can induce anxiety because an elevated heart rate is a stress response and our bodies have this really unique way of going I must survive no matter what my heart rate is elevated there must be danger and it can lead to anxiety so really be mindful and if you're someone who's prone to anxiety even you haven't used binding before I would start for shorter periods of time because the last thing you want to do is be like, Bonza, I got myself a new binder. I'm going to whack that sucker on and then go out of the house and be out for seven hours. If an hour and a half in, you're suddenly starting feeling dizzy. So <laughs> start home, start at home, start for shorter periods of time. Do not bind for longer than eight hours. That is the recommended time frame. I'm not saying not to bind. I Like I said, this is totally your call. But there are recommended time periods and they are there for a reason because it is about your safety. So just keep in mind that starting small, even though you might be really eager, starting small for short periods of time with binding can be a safe way to do it. I also have been asked by quite a few people about chest binding and physical activity. And now this one is a challenge because I've got friends, like I mentioned earlier, who have binders and they can wear them and they can train just fine. I've also trained in my binder and I've not had a problem either. But I know that is not going to be the case for everyone. So I would take that on a, a personal approach. If you're comfortable in your binder, if it doesn't limit your ability to do any of the things that you want to do in a day and you don't feel restricted, try it out. I would start with 
like a strength or weight-based training if you're someone who's already training or body weight work. So start there. I would not jump straight into a cardio session because you might find really quickly that no, you, you actually can't breathe very well in your binder, but it's just not obvious when you're not doing high exertion activities. <laughs> so just be really mindful. Start slow. If you do want to start getting active and wearing your binder, experiment. This is all an experiment and it's all going to be about what works for you and what works for one person is not going to necessarily work for another person. It is such an individual experience and our bodies all respond differently. So we really need to keep that in mind. But I'm not going to say not to do it. Like I said, try it out, start slow. Don't jump straight into a really high intensity interval training or uh, intense cardio session because that's a really quick way to find out whether or not you can actually breathe. And it's not going to be the funnest way and it's probably not going to be the safest way to do it either. So let's say you can't afford a binder right now. What are your options? Well, some websites out there, there's quite a few and I'll be listing them in the show notes. They are rad humans and they actually have exchanges where people who no longer use their chest binders or have changed size binders actually donate them so that people who can't afford them right now can get binders and they can start feeling affirmed in their identity. They're really rad. I was quite surprised. Um, not surprised, I guess pleasantly surprised. You've got Sock Draw Heroes, who I mentioned earlier. They are an Australian-based group. They have a pay-it-forward program, so you can like go to their website, you can donate, and you can receive items by people who have donated money. There's one called Point of Pride, and they do chest binder donations. Tumblr Clothing Exchange. That's a really cool one that I found. There's actually a couple on Tumblr. There's Tumblr Clothing Exchange and Trans Clothes Swap. There's a US only one called FTM Essentials. And there's also one called Replace the Ace Org. Now, I will put all of these links in the show notes. I found all of these just by Googling binder exchanges as well. So this is all, I've found all of these based off my own Google searches. I've not had anyone tell me to uh, say anything about their organization or whatever. And it's, anyone can go out there and really find who's out there offering stuff. Now, I'm sure there's also probably other local exchanges that may be in your area. So reaching out through your social networks to your local groups may be another really great way of checking out if there's other folks out there who have donated their binders or who don't use them anymore or for whatever reason may be able to give you access to items if you can't afford anything right now because a secondhand binder is going to be so much better than you trying to use bandages you trying to use tape please do it safely I can't stress that enough your body I know that it's challenging when it's not aligning with your identity but your body is the only one you've got and taking care of it as best you can in the ways that you can like grabbing a secondhand binder are going to be really helpful for you long term So let's say you've been binding with a binder that is too tight. You've ended up with inflammation in your intercostal muscles and it's painful and it sucks. Or let's say you are someone who has been binding too tightly and you've ended up with skin irritations because they're really common. You can get broken skin, you can get bruising, you can get cracked ribs. If you're someone who's experiencing any of these things, I know it's going to suck, but you need to take a break from binding. And I know that's going to be really hard to do. But if there's the option to instead go to a sports crop, which is not going to be as tight, but may give you some chest compression just so that you can give your body time to recover, that is going to be so beneficial. If you're someone who's been experiencing pain from binding and it's been ongoing, 
and you haven't seen anyone about it, I really would suggest going and talking to your doctor or seeing if there's a local physiotherapist around who offers a firming practice who can support your body because something small which is treatable early could turn into something big that's not so easy treatable the longer you have discomfort and pain in an area it means that something's not right in that area and the longer it stays there for the more impact it has on other parts of the body so you really want to find those support services out there I know it's going to be hard if you are someone who lives in a regional area. Like I get that. I'm from regional Queensland and I there was nothing up there. There was no affirming, there was no affirming anything, even GPs, right? So I get it. I get that in regional areas of whatever country you live in, it is going to be a bunch harder to find support. And I can recommend getting some movement may help. Now, I'm not a physiotherapist. I'm a personal trainer. Yes, I've spent seven years learning about the body, but that by no means gives me uh, knowledge into any of that kind of myofascial release or anything like that. But I do have a movement guide that can start getting movement into your upper body, which may help. It depends on how long you've had uh, ongoing issues for as to what the problem is. But there are ways that you can support your body and getting some movement into your upper body while you're not binding is definitely going to help with that. But if you're experiencing bruising, if you're experiencing skin irritations, trouble breathing, even when you're not binding, any sort of pain, I'd really strongly recommend that you go and see your local allied health professional, someone that you trust, someone who's got some medical knowledge because you may need further support. So let's recap. We've gone over what it means to chest bind. We've gone over using physical activity to support your body while binding. And this is a big one because if you're not moving while parts of you aren't moving, nothing's moving. That did sound like I was stating the obvious. <laughs> but <laughs> the more you can move your body while you're asking other parts of your body to not move, the better long-term you're going to be. So we've talked about binding safely by using chest binders, by using sports crops, even doubling up your sports crops and doing that over preference to using compression bandages or using duct tape. If it really comes to it and you can't get a binder, you can't get a double sports crop, even wearing baggy clothes that can help hide your chest can be a better option than going to bandages and going to tape. We've talked about downloading the movement guide. It's got a good bunch of movements in it, all ones that I've used myself and all ones that I've used on other folks to help support their bodies while they're binding. So I know these movements work. It is free to download. It is going to be something that you can do in your bedroom. No one even has to see you do this, but I guarantee it will help to start relieve a lot of the discomfort that you might be getting in your upper back, in your shoulders, neck pain, headaches, all of these things can often be caused by a lack of movement through our upper bodies. And this guide is a really freaking great way to get some physical activity into your life and get some movement into your body. And lastly, we've gone over what you can do if you can't afford a binder by checking out um, any one of those binder exchange programs or clothing swaps that are online. Now, I will link to all of them in the show notes, so you'll be able to jump on to the website, go to our blog that's linked to this episode, check it out, have a look, see what's going to be suitable for you, and who knows, you might be able to get some great stuff to get you started with binding to help you affirm who you are. Now, if you want to 
get in contact with us if you want to find out more about what we do. If you want to learn how you can get a little bit more active, you can visit our website. You can find us on Instagram. We're big on the Instagram. <laughs> you can find Fearless Movement Collective on Instagram. You can find me, Bowie, as the no TNB on Instagram. And you can find non-gendered fitness on Instagram as well. Again, we have our website. We are on Facebook as Fearless Movement Collective. Jump in, shoot us a message, check us out, ask us questions. I love answering questions. If you have questions, get your questions at me. I would be happy to answer your questions. <laughs> and until next week, remember, being trans or gender diverse is freaking awesome. Whether you're living openly or still needing to keep things quiet to stay safe, you are valid, you are worthy, and you belong to the most badass community that I have ever experienced in my life. Have a rad-ass day, pals. Bye.